1959, just a few months before he was arrested and sent to prison for a litany of crimes, the notorious serial killer and occultist Ira Dunwich sat down with a very special palette of colors and created a painting that he titled The Ravenous One. In his little house, in the middle of the woods, down in the basement, the madman set up a canvas on an easel and he prepared his paints. This was to be a special painting with a special purpose, and so it needed very special paints. Ira Dunwich had a jar with a long, slick, oozing, black slug inside of it. This was not your garden variety slug, far from it. Nor was it even a slug at all. It had been plucked, wriggling, from the split-open skull of a raving lunatic. Ira Dunwich knew this because he had split that lunatic's skull open himself with his own two hands. Now that the time was right, he took that slug, that tumor, that little piece of the devil, and he cut it up for his paints, using a palette knife to cut it into chunks and then to shave it down into thin slices before pounding it into a disgusting black and green jelly and stirring it into all the colors. It took him no time at all to finish this painting, and it truly was a dark masterpiece. At no point did he feel like he was the one painting. The paints guided the brush. They controlled the canvas. They dictated the picture. Of course, the legend of this painting is simply that. A legend, a fable, a tall tale. Because when Ira Dunwich was arrested, the police found no such painting. So its existence is highly unlikely. And yet the stories persist. Stories of a haunted painting that drives whoever looks at it long enough into madness and murder. Drinking whiskey in the kitchen and telling scary stories around the fire. Music, monsters, and mayhem, killers, cannibals, and cults, fearful fiction and furious fact, tall tales, and terrible truths. This is a scary home companion. Welcome to Let's Paint with Rory Silk. I'm Rory Silk. 
Let's paint. Just put the thought right out of your head. Rory Silk was never trying to fill the void left by Bob Ross. Really, he wasn't. Rory was a sweet guy, a sincere guy. And above all, he just wanted to paint. Although sweet, kind, and gentle, Rory wasn't stupid. He also knew that he wasn't a great painter. But the passion that he had for art, that was great. Which is why he started his own public access painting show. With Let's Paint, he wanted to take his art, his love for painting, and turn it into a group experience. And to some degree, it seemed to work. He got some nice emails, at least as many nice ones as he got mean ones. And then time rolled on and he found himself on his third season of the show. At this point, he'd picked up some local endorsements, taught some painting classes at the YMCA, and he was this close to making a living as an artist for the first time in his life. Rory Silk was feeling pretty good about things. And then he got a present. The first gift that he'd ever gotten from a viewer, which, on one hand, was quite glorious. On the other hand, it was a wee bit disconcerting since his address was kept private. And the painting itself was a bit disconcerting as well. He couldn't tell what it was. Not at first. But he knew that it gave him a weird, upset feeling. This painting... It's not really our style, is it? That's okay. Came with a nice note from one of our fans. They watch our show. Thank you for your gift. I'll hang it right up here in the studio. Maybe it's not my style, but everyone has their own style. And I think it's good to accept people for who they are, not who you want them to be. I am very happy and very honored to hang up this gift on my wall. The painting had come with no signature, no receipt. It had been wrapped in plain butcher's paper and left on his doorstep. There was a handwritten card that said the title of the piece was The Ravenous One. A title that Rory liked about as much as he liked the painting itself. After a few days, he still wasn't sure what it was supposed to be. He liked art that looked like what it was supposed to look like. This just seemed like a bunch of gooey shapes. Smaller ones set around a bigger, more gnarly one. It was around this time that Rory started to have the dreams. Those dreams. In his dreams, he saw islands. One of them was here. Another one was far away. But the dark one was somewhere else entirely. Somewhere bad, on the edge of a black ocean, 
under a clear and wide open sky that was terrifyingly empty. No stars, no sun, no moon. Like he wasn't on Earth at all. Dreams are what bind us all together as human beings. No matter where you live, what language you speak, or what you look like, we all dream. Because at our cores, all people are the same. The Native Americans believe in something they call the wandering spirit. A part of the soul that leaves the body when we sleep. It wanders out through the dreamscape. Sometimes we get lost in someone else's dreams. Has that ever happened to you? And sometimes we meet the people who live there. To record a full episode of Let's Paint, Rory would film for a good eight to ten hours. That's how long it took him, usually, to finish a painting. He would spend another three or four days editing all the raw footage down into a proper 28-minute long episode. It was a one-man show and a one-location show. The art studio was the TV studio, was the editing room, was the living room, was also the bedroom. Rory didn't have a very big place, is the point. So when he worked, it was in the presence of that painting. When he slept, it was in the presence of that painting. When he ate or read a book or took a dump, he was in the presence of that painting. As Rory went about his normal life, He found himself drawn to it, staring at it more and more, and he was sure that it was his mind playing tricks on him. It must have been that, because he was starting to see something in the painting now. Those blobby shapes were rendering, sharpening, almost like... You know, this was impossible, of course, but it was almost like there had been a haze over the picture, and now he was able to see through it. The ravenous one was a person, or used to be a person. Now it was something else. One morning, Rory woke up, and as had become his custom, he sipped a cup of coffee, had a dry English muffin, and stared at the painting for a half an hour. And he got the craziest idea. What if it wasn't the painting itself that was so strange? What if it was the paints? There was something... He knew full well about the paints that was unusual. He just didn't know what it was. And unless he was mistaken, the paint had been moving gradually, almost imperceptibly, shifting around the canvas while he slept. When you're a painter like we are, your colors are your language. It's how your art speaks. 
What lovely colors we have here. Let's see. Malachat, Mallow, Arsenic, Mordrum, Alchemy, Carnadine, Mummy Brown, Wormwood Black, Deep Rot. Let's paint an island. A beautiful island. It's in the Caribbean Sea. It's more than an island, though, isn't it? It's a sepulcher. Isn't that a fun word? Sepulcher. Rolls right off your tongue. Sepulcher. Maybe you've even seen this island in your dreams. I know I have. Sample. He examined it with his eyepieces to try and identify the exact makeup of the paint and the precise shade, but he found it didn't have the consistency of dried paint. It felt more organic. And it didn't have the look of dried paint. It appeared more dermal. Strangest of all, when he smashed that sample down and spread it out, there appeared to be green sparkles swimming through it. If this was paint at all, and Rory was starting to doubt it, then something else had been mixed in with it, something biological in origin. The next morning, he saw the place on the painting where he had cut out that sample was now smooth and clean, freshly grown over. After that, the next few episodes of Rory's show took on a progressively stranger tone. While Rory stayed as cheerful and positive as always, he didn't seem to realize that the subject matter of his paintings was gradually going off the rails. Let's paint Natsino Island. Natsino. Natsino. I love that, don't you? Natsino. Trees are so tall there, so packed with ass. Look at all that ass in the branches. It's okay if yours look different. You don't have to put bodies in your trees either. Every artist controls their vision. My vision is very true to life, though. Isn't it sad? This was in 1933. It was a very different time, and these people on Natsino Island were so cold, so hungry, some of them chose to hang themselves in the trees instead of starving to death. Look how the other people are looking at the bodies. Let's paint their faces. See how hungry they are? Rory hadn't done any research on the Nazino affair. But he knew the story all the same. In fact, he knew details that no one else had ever reported. He wasn't sure if they had come to him in a dream or if he had seen them happening in the painting. He spent so much time at home it was easy to get the two things confused anymore. At first there had been that haze, that fog blanketing the picture, and he knew now that was to keep just any random person from seeing the real picture. You had to be special to see it. But when that mist finally cleared away from the inside of the canvas, he saw that it wasn't a painting at all. It was a window. 
so clear, so real, like he could reach through and touch them on the other side. And he couldn't help but to keep staring at the ravenous one, transfixed by his horrible majesty. The painting never moved. It wasn't like a TV show or a movie. It was always a single static image that somehow showed the progression of time. It changed, but it never moved. Rory knew that most other people probably couldn't understand that, but it seemed very clear to him. The ravenous one was trying to teach him something. Him, Rory Silk, and him alone. The painting had been delivered to him for a reason, and that reason became more clear the longer he looked. He had a higher purpose. His passion, his art, his calling was all leading to this. This man was the strongest on the island and very smart. See here how he made a deal with this other man? The other man is a husband and a father. He can't feed his wife or his children, but now he understands they can all eat together. See how the wife is cut out in equal pieces? The husband and his children get to eat. And the butcher gets an equal share. That's fair, I think. Don't you? Let's paint a little face here. See? He skinned the wife's face. No one eats the face. Too chewy. And then he sticks it right to his skin. Right about here. Just right. You can put the face wherever you want. There's no wrong way to paint the ravenous one. The ravenous one is hard to describe in words. Although the figure does recur through dream data over the last few decades, it seems that no two descriptions ever seem to match up exactly. The broad strokes are similar, but the details the specifics of his horrific alterations never are. Some say he has a long tail. Some say it's like a scorpion. Others say it isn't a tail at all, but a centipede-like connection of human arms and legs stitched together. His eyes are mouths. He's headless. His mouth is sewn closed. He scuttles like a spider. There are a lot of variations. Never the same, but never too different. Close enough in the same wheelhouse so that you know there's got to be something to it. A commonality. Mostly because of all the wailing, crying, hungry mouths. They vary in number and in placement, but one of the few details everyone seems to agree on is this. The ravenous one peels the faces from victims and then attaches those faces to a part of his body. Arms, legs, chest, back, it doesn't matter. Once attached, that face would start to wail and cry out in hunger 
endless, unquenchable hunger. Over time, the ravenous one came to be covered in dozens of screaming, ravenous mouths. Rory painted the monster again, and again, and again. But every time, he cut up the canvas and smashed it against the wall, because none of them were right. None of them captured the horrible majesty. Then it occurred to him that maybe he wasn't supposed to paint a portrait of the ravenous one. He was not yet worthy of that. Of course, it made so much sense now. There already was the perfect painting of the ravenous one. It was right in front of him. There was no need for another. Rory needed a new subject to create a new stone on the path towards the ravenous one. And that night as he slept, it was revealed to him that he was to paint the scion of the ravenous one, the leader of his earthbound cult, the man who had delivered the painting to him in the first place. Blood red, ox blood, Dragon's blood. None of these paints are quite right. Isn't it just so frustrating? The one color you want, that perfect shade, just isn't on your palette. I need something more vibrant. We can call it freshly spilled blood red. That brilliantly bright red when the arterial spray first hits the fresh air. So bright it hurts your eyes to look at it. That's what I need. Brand new color, freshly spilled. Because the priest's hands just have to be the very perfect shade of red. Thank y'all for listening to A Scary Home Companion. <laughs> you can find the show on social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or email me directly at ascaryhomecompanion at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the show on whatever platform or app that you use to listen, and drop a review. They help the show a lot more than you know. Eric Taylor. Carol Dawkins, Buck Rogers, Matt Strausser, Kevin Sario, Joseph Hood, and Catherine Hensley, amongst others, have already become patrons of Scary Home Companion. 
Get early access to new episodes, bonus materials, post-mortem episode analysis videos, and supplemental documents to give you more depth about the world of the show. On Patreon right now, you can watch the post-mortem video for this episode, breaking down all the ghastly connections, both past and future, between happy little accidents and many other stories. Check out the Patreon. I would surely appreciate your support. This episode was edited and produced by Jeff Davidson. Guest voice work provided by the incomparable Mr. Daniel Jopling. You probably don't know this, but Jopling has done, I'd say, 12 different voices across 15 or 16 episodes of this show, going back to the very first episodes. Anyone out there who needs an ace voiceman, contact the show for details. Music this week provided by Ergo Fizmiz, the flat and the round painter. David Nance, River with No Color, Chelsea Oxendine with the theme music, and the Dan Lilly Orchestra featuring Ariane McCorkadale with the Let's Paint theme song, which I'd like to hear again right now.